You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. Our first scripture is from Titus 2. The page number in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along, is actually page 998, Titus 2. And as we say every week, if you do not have a Bible at home that you can make use of, you are always welcome to take one of these with you. It would be a lovely Christmas gift from us to you today. From verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The word of the Lord. And now let's stand together for the reading of the gospel. If you were here with us last night at the Lessons and Carol service, this is a repeat, but it's worth repeating. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Friends, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to St. Luke, glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Amen. Let's be seated. Well, once again, good morning, church. Good morning to you all. For those of you who are new, welcome to Redeemer, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Dan. I'm very grateful to serve here as a pastor. So the angels announced to the shepherds that, quote, 
unto them has been born this day in the city of David a Savior. And listen, whether you're a Christian or not, the idea of a Savior and salvation, I think, is a pretty interesting one. And so we might consider what might the, the shepherds have thought the angels meant by a Savior. And just as an aside, uh, the shepherds are always depicted in artwork and in figurines as these like men in their 30s and 40s with beards, like I'm an aspiring shepherd right now. Uh, however, that is historically and culturally inaccurate. Shepherding was a job for kids and young adults, usually boys and girls, somewhere around age seven or eight, all the way up to ages 14 or 15. That's the age range for a shepherd in the field keeping their watch over the flock by night. So, show of hands, any kids in the room ages seven through 15? Anybody, boys and girls? Yes, ah, all shepherds in training, okay? That's you in the story. And no doubt, uh, these boys and girls would have had some ideas about what the, sh what the angels meant by a savior. No doubt, that, no doubt they would immediately think of a savior in political and military terms. The Jewish people were, remember your history, living in occupied territory under the Roman Empire. And most of the folklore about this future coming Messiah was that he would be a great political leader and would bring justice and order for the people of Israel. And we can relate to that, right? Like everyone can feel the tug and pull of wanting to get the right leaders in the right positions to bring justice and order to our city, to Richmond, to our country, and, and even to the world, right? And so they would likely first think of a political savior to make the world a just place, and, and we might think of that as well. But then the shepherds, these boys and girls, would also think about their own families, and they would think about their own lives and their own situation in life. And listen, if you're a teenage boy or girl and you're working the night shift as a shepherd, you are at the bottom of the economic ladder. So they probably would have thought about being saved from poverty, from being this downtrodden lower class. And we might think of that as well. I mean, after all, the thing most people want from God is a better life, a more prosperous life, right? An easier life. And so the shepherds might have thought of a savior who would bring prosperity, and, and we might kind of think of that as well. And if you consider these two things, these are really two of the primary callings of the church to bring about justice and prosperity. Or maybe we might use a word like flourishing in place of that word prosperity. To labor to make the world a better place and to elevate the lives of all people, but especially the poor, yeah? That's part of the work of the church. But if you keep thinking about it, you'll realize and remember that this is actually not unique to the church. There are hundreds and thousands, I mean, maybe tens of thousands of organizations and institutions and grassroots movements around the world and throughout history that have sought to make the world a better place and to bring flourishing to individuals and to families in need, yeah? And so justice and flourishing, while integral to the work of the church, are not actually what make the church unique. Because people do not only need saving from oppression and poverty, they need saving from something else as well. And if you are familiar with the story of the Bible, and especially the stories that center around the Advent and Christmas season, then you'll remember that earlier in the story, a singular angel appears to Joseph and says to him that he is to name the child Jesus. Why? Because he will, quote, save his people from their sins. You see, salvation, in the sense that the angels are using the word, is primarily a rescue from sin and its consequences, 
from death and eternal separation from God. And listen, as, as popular as the Christmas season is in our city and nation, I mean, it seems like the Christmas shopping season just gets like extended longer and longer every year. Like I think pretty soon, like next year, it's probably just gonna start in July. And the year after that, it'll just always be Christmas shopping, just all the time. But even if that's the case, the foundational and essential idea behind Christmas which is that people in this world need saving, that idea has actually never been less popular. And in fact, you might say that many of our most sophisticated leaders and thinkers and scholars would would probably say something today like, the only thing you and I need saving from is the idea that we need salvation. But even as that resistance to the idea of salvation becomes normative for the general population, the obvious inadequacy of that posture becomes evident. Listen, Not only is there this internal cry that every single person has for rescue as anxiety and depression and all of these mental health statistics just kind of soar off the charts, but the external wail and cry for salvation is getting turned up in volume as well. You can just think about what's happening in the world right now. You've got the war between Ukraine and Russia. You've got conflict in Syria. You've got gun violence in U.S. schools. You've got pollution in the ocean and melting glaciers. And we could really bum ourselves out this Christmas morning, right? All of the human race, and indeed all of the world, is crying out for help because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot fix our minds and bodies and emotions. We cannot fix our politics. We can't fix our economy. We can't fix the ecosystems. We can't fix our climate. And the Christmas message is that we cannot fix ourselves and this world because sin has cut us off from the source of life, which is God himself. You see, if the message of Christmas is the good news of great joy that a savior has been born, then buried within that message is the assumption that you and I need a savior. And we need a savior because we cannot save ourselves. And so, counterintuitively, to celebrate Christmas is to take sin seriously, because you take the need for Christmas seriously. William Faulkner wrote, people to whom sin is just a matter of words, to them salvation is just a word too. And so I ask you on this Christmas morning, are these words sin and salvation just words or are they realities? Do you know your need, which is to say, do you know your own sin? Earlier this week, uh, my car broke down for the second time in two weeks. Unbelievable. I drive this old green 1999 Toyota 4Runner and it's just rusting to pieces and I really want it to make it 18 more months so I can get my antique plates but I don't know if it's going to make it guys. Um, It broke down for the second time in two weeks just three days ago and I called a tow truck. It's a lovely man named Gerard pulled up and he got out and began hooking my truck up to his car or my car up to his truck and I (laughs) feeling just a little bit small and maybe just the teensiest bit emasculated in the situation, kept offering to help. Like, hey, can I buckle that cable? Or can I tighten the harness? Do you need me to lift that? That looks heavy. Can I help? Um, And he said no over and over again. And I kept pestering him, offering my assistance, until eventually he said, look, man, I've been doing this for 14 years. It'll go smoother if you just step back. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And he was right. So what was required of me in that moment? Only that I acknowledge my need for help. That's it. That's all. I wanted to contribute to the rescue, but my attempts to co-rescue myself were getting in the way. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way. 
you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And I hate that. I think the most difficult thing about receiving Jesus as Savior is simply acknowledging that you cannot rescue yourself. And that's the unique message of Christmas. And it's actually the unique message of the church as well. Salvation is what sets the church apart from every other institution and organization and grassroots movement that offers renewal and improvement and flourishing and prosperity in this life. Yes, Jesus came to make all things new. Yes, and the church must always labor for justice and goodness and flourishing for our neighbors and for our city and for our country and for this world. But we must never do this as an alternative to proclaiming the good news of salvation from sin and eternal death. And so to be a wise and humble and mature human being is to know this more deeply with every passing year, to know your continual need for salvation, for help, and for rescue. And so on this bright Christmas morning, let's grow wise and humble and mature together. Let's collectively know our ongoing need and continuing need for salvation. And therefore, as we know that need, receive afresh and anew the good news, not only the good news of justice and human flourishing, but of salvation and eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.